The text for this morning's service is from Ecclesiastes 7, verse 15 through 19. Let's read it once again. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, a righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Wisdom makes one wise, one wise man more powerful than ten rulers in a city. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, that includes you, boys and girls. Some people have all the answers. And they have a solution to every problem, and they can explain everything away. And they especially have all the answers when it comes to other people and their situation. When there's trouble in another person's life, they can tell you exactly what the problem is, why it happened, and how to correct the matter. If you have problems with your children or with other things in your life, they know exactly how you should act and how to prevent it in the future. And as far as they're concerned, something like that would not happen to them. And in so doing, they present themselves as models of uprightness. If only others would be like me, and then they would have no problems. And those smart kind of people want you to think that they are superior to you. And they want you to admire them. And where does, the, where does that leave the rest of us? Well, it leaves us bewildered it leaves us feeling guilty. It leaves us thinking that the bad things that happen to us are our fault. We are not as good as we should be. We are bad people. Why, it even happens that a lot of people who do not go to church have fewer problems than we do. And we wonder what's wrong with us. Well, brothers and sisters... That's what the text in Ecclesiastes deals with. It deals with the apparent injustices in life. And it tells us how to put things into a proper perspective. I've summarized the text under the following theme. The preacher teaches us to have a proper sense of righteousness and wisdom. And then we will see that he teaches in the first place that wickedness leads to imaginary success, and that secondly, overmuch righteousness leads to bewilderment, and finally, that the fear of God leads to true righteousness and wisdom. Have you ever noticed that people have a strong sense of justice when it comes to themselves only? They're always comparing 
comparing the way others are treated in comparison to themselves. You can see that strong sense of justice in children already. They always think that they are getting the wrong end of the stick. Especially parents know what I'm talking about. When you punish one of your children, and then another one will automatically pipe up and say, well, if that would have been me, you would have been a lot stricter. I never would have gotten off so lightly, especially Older children will say that about their younger siblings. Now, we as adults are not any different. For we see the same thing in the way that we treat each other in church. Once someone has been disciplined or reprimanded, such a person will often stay angry about it. And from then on in, they will look for any discrepancy in the way that others are treated even if the other case only bears a slight similarity to their own. And then once any perceived discrepancy is seen, they will cry foul. See, they treat me differently than somebody else. Look at the injustice. Look at the injustice in the church. Now, it is true that earthly judges do not always mete out justice equitably. Parents, teachers, consistories are made up of sinful people, and they make mistakes. And that is why we have to be careful in the way that we deal with each other. But now, what about our heavenly judge? Do we not have a perfect judge who treats everyone equally, or at least who should do that since he is perfect? You see, some people also question that. And that's what the text is all about. We hear a complaint. The teacher has heard it many times. And it is not a complaint, a complaint against men, but it is a complaint against God. The complaint is look at how you treat me, God. Look what's happening. It is plain for everyone to see, and it doesn't seem fair. It says literally in the text, in this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these, a righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. And you see... What a complaint is. God is not fair. And there are good people who die young and wicked people who live on and on. Is that justice? Is that the way people ought to be treated? Why is it also that some people have more adversity in their life than others? Others seem to have all the luck. Everything seems to go swimmingly for them. They don't have the kind of problems that I have with my poor health, for example, or with my lack of resources, financial and otherwise. My life seems to be nothing but sorrow and trouble. Even though I try so hard to be a good person and live according to God's commandments. 
And they may even wonder about the truth of God, what he says to his people in the Ten Commandments, and that the Lord God says with the Fifth Commandment especially, Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And also with the second commandment, namely, that he will show his love to a thousand generations of those who love him. If that is true, how can it be that those who try to keep the commandments of God, those who are righteous, often receive such adversity in their lives? Isn't that a contradiction? Isn't there a contradiction in the Bible? That's the complaint of the preacher. He complains about the righteous people who perish in their righteousness and the wicked people who live long. How do you explain that? Well, first of all, you have to take a close look at what the scriptures mean with the term righteousness. What constitutes a righteous man or a righteous woman? Well, in the book of Job, we meet a righteous man. Job was considered to be righteous. And the same thing is said about a man, Simeon, who was in the temple when Mary and Joseph, when the baby Jesus was brought there according to the custom of the law. It says there about him in Luke 2, verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it says in Job 1, verse 1, In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. The word for upright is the same word that is used for righteous. Why were these people called righteous? Because they were better than others? Because they were better than you and me? Because they were without sin? Or because their personal righteousness outweighed their wickedness? No, of course not. There was only ever a truly righteous man on earth, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And there has never, ever been anyone like him, nor will there ever be one like him again. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one without sin. All other men are with sin. Unrighteous. Why then do the scriptures call Job and Simeon and also others righteous? Well, look at the kind of people that they were. Job, in spite of his sins, put his trust in the Lord. He had some wrong conceptions, mind you. He could not understand why he was thrown on the ash heap. And so he did question God. Job was looking for answers. But one thing is for sure, during all his troubles, he never renounced God. He sought his redemption. He sought his deliverance in spite of his difficult circumstances from God. And that is why he could also cry out at one point, as he does in Job 19, verse 25, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. Job 
completely threw himself at the mercy of God. He was looking forward to the coming of Christ. And he knew that only therein lies the way out of things. And the same thing could be said about Simeon and the others. Simeon also worshipped the Lord and knew his redemption to be secured by the Son of God. Simeon also knew about himself that he was not a perfect man, far from it. On the contrary, if he did, he would not have delighted in the fact that he would see the Redeemer in the flesh. If we are righteous of ourselves, then we do not need a Redeemer. Then you can do it yourself. Then you can make everything well in your own life. No, Job and Simeon and the others did not seek their righteousness in themselves, but they sought their righteousness in the Lord. They believed. And it is that faith that was reckoned to them as righteousness. They were righteous because of their faith, brothers and sisters. They believed that God would forgive them their sins. They believed that the Lord God would not allow them to remain in their sins. They were righteous because of faith. They believed that no matter what would happen to them in this earthly life, Nothing could separate them from the love of God. Let me ask you. Do you believe? Do you believe that God has forgiven you your sins? Do you believe that you need to be redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ? Well, if that's the case, then you too are a righteous person. For then the Lord God makes you righteous. And he does that not because you are such a good person, because you're not. But only because of the righteousness of Christ. And it is that promise that you must hang on to all the days of your life, no matter what happens to you. But then you may still wonder, as a lot of people do, what good does that do me? I don't get treated any better than anybody else, sometimes worse. And that's also the complaint of the text. The Lord promises a long life to the righteous, and yet sometimes that's not the case. But then also let us consider, brothers and sisters, what does he mean with a long life? What is longer than eternal life? Oh, I know that when he speaks, when the preacher speaks here about the long life, he first of all has an earthly perspective. What the preacher has in mind first here is the life that we live here on earth. And the preacher knows that in spite of the fact that some righteous people die an early death, the rule is that someone who is obedient to the law of God is much more likely to live longer than someone who lives a disobedient, reckless lifestyle. But the preacher, in accordance with the scriptures, therefore also has a much wider perspective on things. It's not always the case that the righteous live longer 
than the wicked here on earth. And so the broader perspective that he brings into it here is that when the scriptures speak about life, they speak about the life with the Lord. They speak about eternal life. That is what he promises to those who are righteous by faith. And of that you may be sure. Someone who is righteous in the way that Job and Simeon were righteous will have eternal life. To them belong all the promises of the covenant, also to you and to me. A wicked person, however, will not have such a wonderful life. Some of them may live long on the earth, but their life is nothing but a constant death, leading to the ultimate death in hell. A true believer only possesses life in its fullest. A true believer can rejoice all the days of his life. He can rejoice in spite of adversity. He can be, indeed he must be happy during all circumstances of his life. Even when he is stuck in poverty, even when he is unemployed, even when he is sick and suffers from poor health, he may rejoice even when he has to bring a loved one to the grave. This morning we mourn the death of a loved one in our midst, Brother Stixma. He had a hard life. His physical health and his mental health left a lot to be desired. He was afflicted more than many people. And yet, this brother prayed to God in his life and trusted in him. Why? Because he knew that our covenant God is a faithful God, that he is a just God who will not let any of his children out of his sight, not for a moment, not even for a split second. Even though everything may be dark around you, the light of God is always there. And he knew that. And do you know what a great comfort that is, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? No matter what happens, no matter how bleak things may seem, the Lord will always keep you in his hands. There were many times during his bouts of depression when Peter knew nothing but darkness around him. And, but he knew also that he was safe with the Lord. He knew the comfort of the scriptures where the Lord speaks to his covenant people. For example, in Deuteronomy 4, verse 31, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your forefathers, which he confirmed to them by oath. At this point, the preacher comes to another interesting statement. And that brings us to our second point. He says in verse 16, Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? There's one statement in the Bible which has been abused. It is this one. 
For a lot of people interpret this verse to mean that the scriptures teach that we should not always be too righteous. In other words, that we should not always be so serious about things. And that we can relax our sense of righteousness to a certain extent. After all, we're sinful human beings. Certain things can be changed. We can sin a little bit here and there. God doesn't mind. He is merciful. And he will even say, therefore, that we can sin without God being angry. Don't be too righteous. And don't be too wicked. Find a good balance in your life. As long as you don't sin too much, you'll be all right. After all, God is a merciful God. Is that what the text says? Well, if that were truly the meaning of this passage, then would the scriptures not contradict themselves? Listen to what the Lord Jesus said to the multitudes in his Sermon of the Mount. He said there, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The Lord God does not want you to lower any of his standards, not one iota, not one tittle. We have to keep the law of God perfectly. Throughout scripture, it is made very clear that the Lord is very angry at our sins even the smallest of sins. Every sin makes you guilty before God. And so then, what is the preacher telling us? Well, look at the context. He is speaking here about people who have the wrong sense of righteousness. He is speaking here about those people I talked about in the introduction. Those who have all the answers. He is speaking here about those who think about the fact that adversity is always the result of some specific sin. That's also what the friends of Job thought, for example. They told Job that the terrible situation in which he found himself was because of his own fault. He must have done something wrong for God to punish him in the way that he does. Well, those people, those friends of Job and those people that think like that, they have an improper sense of their own sinfulness and how sin affects everything. Why do you think that we have to suffer in this life? Is God unjust in giving us adversity in life? Is he unjust in giving more adversity to the one person than the other? Well, no, brothers and sisters. Because of our depravity, we all bear the effects of sin, and that affects the one differently than the other. It was not unjust for the Lord God to punish or to make Job suffer as he did. Because we are sinful, we are exposed to all kinds of misery. But then we have to remember through all this that in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of the adversity that the Lord sends our way, that he nevertheless is treating you as sons, as daughters, as his child. You are his covenant child. You are dear to him. Why then send adversity? Well, 
whatever adversity comes our way is given to us so that we may be drawn closer to Him. So that we become dependent on Him. And that's what He did to Job. That's what He did to Paul. He never took the thorn in the flesh of Paul away for he used that affliction, whatever that may have been, to make him feel the power of God. By his power we know he can and will totally renew us in body and soul. And now the teacher teaches us to put all things into a proper perspective. Trust in the Lord. Know that He is your Heavenly Father. Don't be too righteous. That is, don't have the wrong sense of justice. The Lord will not allow anything to happen to any of His children, to His or to her detriment. The Lord God knows what you need. For His love means that we also have to bear pain at times. And that pain is there, make no mistake about it, because of our sins. Do you not believe, for example, that he dearly loved his son? Of course he did. He could not do otherwise. For his son was not only a man, but also God. By the father loving his son, he also loved himself. For you cannot separate the father from the son. The two are one. And yet, look at how he treated his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ was the most righteous man who ever lived. He tended to the sick, he healed them, and he comforted them. He dealt justly with all those who sought him out. Yet, God made him suffer. He was ridiculed by the masses. He was despised. And not only was our Lord rejected by the Roman authorities, but also by his own brothers in Israel. He was thrown out of his own hometown and accused of being a blasphemer against God. Our Lord Jesus was tortured and had to withstand all the indignities man could heap upon him. The Lord was despised to such an extent that the world no longer could tolerate his presence around them. Away with him! And so they killed him and they hung him on a cross. It was a total humiliation. His absolute righteousness did not earn him the rewards that the world would expect him to receive. No, brothers and sisters, and he even died at an early age, in his early 30s. And Christ never once called God's justice into question. He knew that he had to undergo his humiliation because of the sin which he bore on behalf of mankind. And now we too are God's children. And we belong to Christ. And because we are children of God, we too have to suffer. Not like the Lord Jesus Christ and not for the same reasons. But we have to suffer as well. We are dear children of the Lord. And at times we have to bear pain in our lives. And it is not because the Lord God is angry with us 
or that we need to be punished. That's not the reason. If we had to bear the full burden of God's wrath, we could not take it. We no longer have to be afraid of God's wrath, brothers and sisters. But he does want you to have an inkling of what the Lord Jesus Christ had to bear because of our sins. He wants you to realize how great your redemption is. And in this way, he wants you to be brought close to him. He wants us to have near to him all the time. He wants us to rely on him no matter what life may bring. Preacher writes in verse 13, Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what God has made crooked? He considers us to consider God's plan for us. We may, we may want to lay out for ourselves a neat course of life to follow. But the Lord's plan for our lives often goes counter to what we have planned for ourselves. And so we read in Proverbs, a man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. If we think that things will go as we planned them, then we will certainly be astonished. And it may lead to bewilderment if things happen differently, which often happens, for then we no longer trust in the Lord. There are a lot of people like that. They have a keen sense of justice. And now they no longer want to put God in the picture because they find him wanting. They see God as an unjust God. And so now they go to the other extreme and they say to themselves, well, if the lot of man is the same for everybody else, then what is the use? Why bother to live a righteous life? Why go to church? Why believe in God? And that brings us to the other side of the coin. Because of that wrong sense of righteousness, they go to the other extreme. Such people, however, are very short-sighted. They only see the life that we live here under the sun. And so they throw in the towel. They don't see God, and so they spurn God. And they try to make the best out of life here on earth. And then they live as if there is no tomorrow. They become wicked in their lifestyles. For that reason, the teacher comes to us with another warning. Do not be over wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? When you throw caution to the wind like that, then you will certainly not live long on earth. And you certainly will not live eternally either. By stating that you should not be over wicked, he does not mean here either that a little bit of sinning is okay. As he says in verse 20, there is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Rather, the teacher warns the reader that sin does not take hold of you. He warns us against sinful habits. If If sin takes hold of a certain person, then his life will be ruled by that sin. We can think of alcohol or drugs, or uncontrolled sexual passions. In the end, that person will be consumed by that sin and perhaps die before his time. 
and perhaps die eternally. And so the Lord God does not want you to lead a reckless life, to live as if God does not exist. The teacher calls such people foolish, and a foolish man, he says, elsewhere strives after the wind. Even when the fool walks down the road, he lacks sense, but he says to everyone else that he is a fool, says the teacher. And Jeremiah teaches us, foolish people have eyes, and they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. The fool is not in tune with God's word because he has put God to the side. He doesn't put God in the picture. Well, says the teacher, the fear of God leads to true righteousness and wisdom. You may remember from a previous sermon on Ecclesiastes that wisdom has to do with skill, with the skill of life. Someone who is wise knows how to avoid the pitfalls of life. He avoids all extremes. There's a lot of fanaticism in this world. We see it all around us. Fanatical movements abound. Think about homosexual activists or the Islamic zealots or liberal environmental fanatics, to mention just a few. And these people will do anything for their cause. And they will never, ever look at the other side of a picture. And they will pursue their cause no matter what, no matter what truth would refute their claims. They are totally deaf and blind. And don't think that fanaticism is not found amongst Christians either. You have fanatical Christians as well. It is my way or the highway. I am the only one who knows the truth. I am the only one who knows how to interpret scripture. I know everything. And they won't listen to another side of the issue. Having all the answers. And they will tell you exactly how to live and how to think. With them there is no wriggle room. No wiggle room. And they will tell you exactly what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with the church, and what's wrong with you. And they know why this has happened and why that's happened. Such people are unbalanced in their thinking. And they go from one extreme to the next. There is not always an answer for things. There is not always an answer for the apparent injustices in life. We don't know everything, only God knows everything. We had better be humble. Disciples, they were also looking for answers. For example, at one time they wanted to know from the Lord Jesus about a certain man who was born blind. And they wanted to know from the Lord Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And then the Lord Jesus said in John 9 verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Brothers and sisters, the adversity in our lives has been so that God may be displayed in you and in me. For God has a definite purpose for your life and for my life. No matter what happens here on this earth, that plan, that purpose for your life is going to be realized. You can be sure of that. And the ultimate purpose of your life is, as you will also hear again this afternoon, that you glorify and praise God. 
In the end, the preacher says, it is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Have you ever been on a small boat or a ship during a storm? The only way you can survive under those conditions is if you hang on with both hands to the railings. And if you don't, you're in danger of being swept overboard. As the winds haul and the waves batter against the boat, sweeping over the deck, you had better have a good grip or else you are going to disappear into the angry sea and perish. Well, that's what the preacher is talking about here as well. In the midst of adversity and turmoil in your life, and then you hang on. You hang on to the Lord your God and His absolute concept of righteousness. And you hang on to your firm resolve not to sin. And you know what the wonderful thing is? You do not have to hang on in your own strength. For if you do, you will still perish. No, the Lord will be with you as you go through the storms of life. Don't have the wrong sense of righteousness. And don't be wicked. Fear God, and you will come forth from it all. That's what God promises to you now and forever. Amen.